some of the core values that I'm committed to, um, uh, number one is being a man of your word, uh, doing what you say that you're going to do. Um, the second core value is under-promising and over-delivering, making sure that I can continue to be a man of my word. The third thing, the third thing is making sure uh, that you do the right thing even when no one is looking. That's called integrity. And then the fourth thing is make sure that I look after the people who look out for me. Uh, pride mentality, wolf pack mentality. Those are the four things that I live by. Uh, what do you do to challenge those underlying beliefs or your values? What do I do to challenge my underlying beliefs or values? One of the biggest things I do is I just don't say yes to an opportunity or to a position or to somebody just because I got a good feeling. Um, because I never want to put myself in a position to where um, anybody can ever have anything negative to say about me and be able to prove it. Um, so I always tend to try to think my thoughts through, even when it comes to picking fights with my wife. You know, I typically like to think what I'm about to say because I already know if I just let that thing fly, we're going to end up with arguments that we ain't got no business being arguments with. And we're going to be beefing for a whole week because I'm going to carry that thing all the way through. Because if I was a man of my word saying I don't need you, at least for a whole week, I got to act like I don't need it. Uh, so uh, then for my business, you know, it's just, you know, it's just not saying no, not just saying yes, you know, just because you can make money. Not just saying yes, just because somebody's your friend. Uh, really evaluating the situation, checking out the holes of the entire deal to ensure that I'm making the right decision for what I need at that moment and not trying to jump the gun because I'm leading, I'm letting my ambition and my overzealousness put me in positions that I have no business being in. Okay, so moving forward with business, what is your most important business relationship and what do you do to strengthen that relationship? It could be multiple relationships. Okay. My most important business relationship is um, the relationship with my team. Um, I think that when you create an environment where you are uh, not creating a subordinate or inferior, superior type of structure where there's a unilateral respect for each other, uh, job titles may be different, responsibilities may be different, but there is no way that I can do anything that we're doing right now without a team and people who not only believe in me, believe in the mission that God commissioned me to be on, and they're all falling in line and they're what they feel like they're gifted at doing for the benefit of the overall good of ABS. So that's that's my number one most important partnership. And then my second uh, most important business partnership is uh, with my wife. Um, my wife has uh, set up a perfect dynamic between us to where I don't really have to worry about a lot of the stuff that, that happens at the house. She allows for me to be in my bag as long as I can make sure that I don't tend to the business more than I tend to her. Um, and, I, and I find, you know, a hard balance at balancing between the two, like I've mentioned, you know, previously in an earlier show, uh, because when she takes care of so much at the house, sometimes I forget that I need to play my part, too. But uh, my wife being a valuable business partner is very important to me. And the third thing is, is my business partnership with Brother Ben. Uh, he and I have an equal understanding about the value that each and each of us bring and uh, knowing how to keep both of ourselves in line so that we both can submit to the talents and the gifts that we both have that makes ABS go and makes ABS run. Um, how do I strengthen my relationship with my team? Uh, the very first thing is to make sure that my team members are in the right places so that they can be able to survive and thrive. A lot of, a lot of people put people in positions just to fill positions, and we don't put people in positions so they can thrive. 
And a lot of times when people are putting people in just to fill positions, it's because they don't really want to pay them what they're actually worth or what they will be worth in the marketplace. But what I do believe, I believe in putting people in the right positions to where if they truly tap into their gift, we'll have to pay them, you know, 500,000 to a million a year or give them equity in the company based on that talent. So finding the ability to put people in the right places allows for all of us to be able to make sure that we have the right relationships amongst us. And then the second thing is that, you know, a lot of people like to get too personal, but letting your people know that you're, you're there to kick it with them and be there for them without judgment um, uh, is an important thing. And then the third thing is, is making sure that you give second and third and fourth chances. If you believe that you will want somebody to hear you out and give you second, third, and fourth chances uh, if you were to mess up, you got to be willing to do that same thing with your team because if they don't feel like that you will forgive them if they make mistakes or if they feel like you're just going to fire them just because you know you got a bad attitude or whatever, depending on the day, you won't be able to build that true trust. But when you have a team that knows that if they make mistakes, as long as they're not making a, the same mistakes, and as long as they're admitting to their mistakes and getting better, that you're going to continuously give them chances until they get it right. As long as they're efficient and they're effective in their job, I think that everybody deserves multiple chances. So having that type of relationship with your team, letting them know that I got your back as long as you got mine. If you got some things that's going on with your family, we're going to hold you down. If you have that type of environment, it's easier for you to be able to build loyalty and trust with your team and go get some extremely talented people that will charge somebody a buku amount of money to go work with them because there's no relationship. But because it's you, they will accept less because they know that the potential to earn more and do more is so much greater with you. Um, how do I deepen and strengthen uh, my relationship with my number one business partner, which is Brother Ben X? Um, I think it is, you know, uh, looking at him um, as as somebody I'm going to be married to until we die. Um, and I say that in a business context because a lot of people get in business with each other for the short term glory or the short term gain or the short term, you know, pump and dump. You just want to pump a bunch of money. You just want to dump your business partner and dip. But when I when when me and brother Ben were in our business dating, you know, a situationship for six, seven months when he was working with us as a as a consultant and doing marketing for us, I was really looking at him to see if this is this somebody I can be in business bed with. You know, until we die, are we in this to win it? Is it do or die or to death do us part or is it something for a temporary circumstance? And so when it comes to that, you have people that become business partners with you. Then you got to start building that intimacy when it comes to understanding so that they know you're going to be there for their families, letting them know that, you know, your children are like my kids. If something would happen to you, I got your back. If you were to fall, you know, I got you. If you were to, if you were up, you know, I'm going to elevate you. When it's time to hype you, you know, I'm going to hype you. I'm going to be there for you. And then doing some servitude stuff for him that most people don't think I do, like picking up his bag, you know, listen to him when he gives advice, listening to him and, and, and implementing, letting him know that I hear him, that I respect him, that I love him. And I, I appreciate the talent and gifts that he has. And even though I may not agree on all things, I respect him enough to do them and then let the action of what he's telling me to do and let the results of that prove if it was a good idea or not idea. And so just building that trust and then also uh, um, what we do, you know, we do all business deals together. So if I go get a business deal, I bring it to the family table. You know, if he go do a business deal, he bring it to the table and us creating more of a business partnership and a brotherhood outside of just, you know, uh, making money and, and, you know, being a faith and loving God the way that we both do makes it a lot easier. Um, you got you are you're a fan of mentors, correct? Yes. How long have you had your mentors? Um, I've had different mentors for different stages of my life. 
Um, I've had um, a mentor, Tony Stevens Sr. He's been my mentor for five years. Um, and that's somebody that was in my startup phase. He taught me the importance of uh, connecting faith and business. Then I had a mentor uh, by the name of, of, of Ray McDonald. He may not have been my money mentor, but he was definitely my mentor when it came to being accountable and being disciplined to somebody because I wasn't. Um, then I had, you know, my mentor when it comes to my faith mentor, uh, which is Dr. Miles Monroe. And he's going to be with me forever, even though he's passed away. He's my spiritual mentor that leads me. And I can hear his voice when it comes to certain situations I put myself into. You know, I have I have my parental mentor. So I have different mentors for different stages of my life. Um, if we're pertaining to business, I deal with my mentors based on seasons. If I feel like I've uh, sur uh, um, surpassed what one of my mentors have done, you know, I typically use them for what they, you know, I, I talk to them and I ask them for guidance on their areas of expertise. But when it comes to me expanding as a business owner, expanding as an entrepreneur, expanding as a leader, I typically find that that mentor who can lead me in that season and stage of my life. And, and off that, um, can you describe the importance of a mentor for those who may not see it how you see it? And how has your mentors your mentors influence you? Um, I, think it's, I, um, I think it's very important when it comes to um, actually understanding the importance of mentors because mentors are supposed to be there to guide us. Matter of fact, if I were to go to Exodus 18, and I say this, uh, this story all the time, Jethro went and taught Moses how to build a team and how to develop leaders. If Jethro, if Moses never had Jethro, he never would have been put in the position to learn how to develop leaders. Therefore, he would have been trying to lead a million man army by himself inefficiently. And so what mentors can do, mentors should be like tour guides. They've been where you're trying to go. They've walked in your shoes. They can tell you the pit holes and the stops that you may have. And then a coach is more somebody who can teach you, but they never haven't actually been there. But a mentor can actually hold your hand. They can guide you through the uh, woods that you're in and then hand you off to another mentor who can take you to the next level. And then the second thing, when it talks about mentors and understand the importance of these mentors in my life in different phases, I think it's, it's, it's best to look at your mentors not as idols, but to look at them as, like I said, tour guides for a season of your life. And, and when you don't look at your mentors as and idolize them, it allows for you to see their humanity and see where they may fall short so that you know not to get advice from them in those specific areas, or you know how far they can actually take you before you have to get handed off to another mentor. So don't stay with the mentor too long that cannot continue to guide you, because what will happen is you will, be then, you, you will begin to be capped by the same thing that they are capped by. So if you find a mentor who can't get over the half a million dollar mark, you probably need to get to a half a million and learn from their teachings and then find another million, uh, another mentor that may be at the two million dollar mark. If you have a mentor who's good in business, but terrible with relationships, you probably shouldn't take relational advice from them because they're not the person that can teach you how to have a balance of both. And so you got to look at these mentors and humanize them so that you can see exactly what their gifts and talents are so that you can get their advice in those areas so that that you can be able to stay steadfast and developing as a leader yourself.
Hey, listen, family, at the ABS firm, we teach families all across the country how to build their own bank. Yes, I said it, how to build their own bank. If you're looking to try to get out of debt, stop borrowing money from everyone else's bank without building your own family banking system, you need to get in our private banking blueprint where we literally show you exactly what we did to not only build our own private banking system for our company, but what I did to build me and my wife's and my family's private banking system so that you can be able to not only guarantee wealth for your family, but you can now learn how to be your own bank. How cool would it be to learn not only how to be your own bank, but to actually become your own bank? So go to privatebankingblueprint.com, privatebankingblueprint.com, so that you can learn 25 hours, coursework, videos, questions, everything that you need. And you will also be able to talk to one of our ABS advisors to be able to set you up your own family bank family this is true it is possible you just have to go see it for yourself so privatebankingblueprint.com don't wait all right now moving on to finances you said i believe you said 76 percent of americans yes are living paycheck to paycheck yes. or financially sick in yes. some kind of way uh what is the first step in getting rid of financial cancer? So um, I, de I developed the term financial cancer uh, by doing a side-by-side -side analysis of what my sister actually beat ovarian cancer and the feelings and the symptoms that I was kind of having. Of course, it wasn't like cancer, but I was dealing with stress and high anxiety, high blood pressure, passing out, all those things, sleepless nights, sleep apnea, all these things that were stopping me from performing at my highest level. And it was all had to do with my irresponsibility and being a good steward of my finances. And so statistically, anybody can go look it up. 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Most Americans don't have at least $500 in their savings account. And so when I talk about this financial cancer, I'm talking about debt. Debt is the number one cause of death in black America specifically. Debt is the number one thing that stops you from progressively moving forward. Debt is the number one thing that keeps you on jobs that you hate because you're trying to keep up a lifestyle that you can't afford. Debt is the enemy. Debt is not your friend. And debt is the very reason why a lot of us are in the situations that we're in because we want things now that we can't afford. So we enslave our future so that we can have our freedom today. And what I believe is that you should you should work your butt off today so that you can have your freedom tomorrow. And when we understand those things, we can put ourselves in the proper perspective and positions so that we can be able to move with authority and not move in scarcity. You move in scarcity when you don't have a lot on the table. Well, you bring a child into that, which is debt. You bring a debt, you did debt. All these things that are debt uh, that take money from you, you can be able to put yourself in best positions to be able to thrive and grow so that you can be able to develop as a great steward over God's resources that he allows for you to manage, therefore going to allow for you to get more money and have more assets because you know how to do right with the little that you have. The Bible says, never despise small beginnings. But unfortunately, most Americans, specifically minorities, we despise small beginnings so much that we will enslave ourselves to a, to a bank that never intended for us to be free uh, rather than enjoying the small beginning so that we can be free long term. Okay, and then off yeah. that, if you were given $600 right now, like that was your, all you have was $600, i.e. stimulus check. Okay. What is the very first thing that you would do personally as Jake Tyler Jacobs to double it, triple it, flip your money? Okay. Uh, the very first thing I would do if I had $600, do I at least have a job? 
Okay, I got a job. I got income. If I got $600, uh, what would I do with that? I would actually invest it into myself in some type of education, though I can develop a skill set that will allow for me to earn more money. A lot of people like to jump to quick making passive income before they master active income. So we don't develop the skill sets that are required uh, in order for us to be able to maximize in the marketplace, allowing for us to go and make more money. And people underestimate the value of learning education, not mundane educational practices. We're talking about systematic skill sets that can allow for you to scale and grow and make more money. Me going to get my insurance license, me investing in insurance training, me investing in uh, uh, lunch with my mentor has amassed me millions of dollars in revenue and in, in, uh, in mil- in, uh, uh, six figures and millions of dollars in actual income because I was able to position myself as uh, uh, and put myself in the right environments to develop the skill sets that were required in order for me to be successful. And so the $600, no stock market, no investment can get you a better return than you can on yourself when you invest in the skill sets that can raise your value in a marketplace. When your market, when your value in the marketplace grows, your income follows just shortly. And then in the last, my, the last interview we had, you mentioned if you, if you couldn't use your credentials and you started over, the first thing you would go to is sales, correct? Mm-hmm. How do you find the right product? Mm. So how do you find the right product? What I would look for are products that I can be passionate about, um, pro- products that can bring a little fire in me, things that I can actually want to learn, I want to indulge in, and I feel like it's best fit for the community. So for you, what you would have to do when it talks about the first thing that I would do is go go sell. You got to figure out what product can you get so passionate about that you can talk about even if you didn't get a commission. And then when you find that product, then you got to look at the right margins and see if the margins make sense as far as commission that you can make in offering that product to the public. There are billion dollar middlemans, million dollar middlemans. I've made millions of dollars and generated millions of dollars of revenue and made millions of dollars literally just by being a middleman. Not owning the product, not making the product, not creating the product, not being the inventor of the product, not being a genius behind the product. Literally, by seeing somebody who had a product, I know how to go get a customer, connecting the customer with the creator of the product and getting commission in between. That is something I have made a living doing. And we're just now getting to the place to where we're creating our own technologies and our own products. And even then, there are some things that we middleman for. And so I think that you got to find something that you can find value in. I think that there's some, you got to find something that you can believe in. And then you look at the margin difference in between so that you can be able to determine if that product is something that you will be able to champion, even if you aren't making any money. That was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> So, so in short, I mean, you just you innovate. You're an innovative middleman. Yes, sir. So, how do you encourage your personal innovative ideas? Um, the very first thing I do when it comes to innovating, you sound my innovative middleman. I like to look at uh, products or services that were poorly marketed or poorly executed, which means you have a great product but your execution of that product to get it to the marketplace was poor. And that's why I typically find my space to put my own little juice on it. And so what happens is even with the private banking blueprint, I wasn't the creator of teaching people how to bank with insurance. Nelson Nash was. But when you go look at all of his content, it's not enough that gives you enough juice for you to be able to feel like you can connect with it. But what I did was I looked at what he struggled with. 
and getting and delivering that to the masses or to the marketplace. I looked at the people who were not getting that in our culture and I developed that for myself. I discovered, I implemented those things for myself so I can get an in-depth knowledge of it. And then I positioned it and I brought it to the culture in a way that nobody has ever heard before. Therefore making me the pioneer of what most people think I'm the inventor of sometimes. And then the other thing is, is finding products and services that are not, not only great products, poorly executed, but they lack with having a passion of actually doing the work to educate the consumer on it. And so what I mean by that is most people who create products don't want to take the time to educate the consumer. But what most people fail to realize is that people who know how to communicate typically make the most money. Those are the people who are able to communicate why the customer needs it, why the product is the best, and why you can put yourself in the best position to be able to use this product or service. And so I just wanted to be the middleman who can communicate people's products and services directly to the consumer and be able to receive all of the benefit because of their lack of willingness to communicate with the consumer. And so being that middleman has allowed for me to be able to put myself, not only myself, but our team in a position of authority because we're willing to do what the inventors, creators, genius behind the products are not willing to do. <laughs> so, but no, I, I, I wrote them all random and then I restructured them so I can ask you an order so they kind of go together. Okay. Okay, so now I got two questions left. So this last one is, is Jake Taylor Jacobs true, I mean, purely driven by optimization or some other purpose other than making the best, most effective use of your current situation and resources? Um, I think that Jake Taylor Jacobs is more concerned about optimization, taking things that are inefficiently, that don't, that, that aren't working efficiently and, and, and curating systems and programs that can help them run uh, efficiently, systematically, and effectively. And I typically do that with people. I find people who don't really understand their value. They're underperforming. They're underdelivering. And finding a way to systematize, uh, to systematize a way to pull the best out of them by allowing for them to have structures in place that can get them to be able to find the best of them, which is what I've done with products and services the entire time finding underdeveloped products and services and making a way for those products and services to serve the community and serve our customers in the marketplace in the best way. So I truly believe that I'm all about optimization. How can I get you to optimize and, 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 and uh, capture the majority of what your potential is versus wasting what is a good gift to the world if you knew how to access it? How would I put it? Jake Taylor Jacobs out of business. How would you put Jake Taylor Jacobs out of business? You got to kill him. <laughs> I'm like a roach. <laughs> I just recreate and re-innovate. Uh -huh. This is far-fetched, but you plan on going public. Yes, sir. Uh, so how will, you how will you approach the hypocritical talk of your business partner being a, a predominantly black religious group yep. who's... Uh, who people might think their beliefs is based on white men. The devil. Yeah. Um, I think that um, not people go public for selfish reasons, right? They just want to get to the bag and dip out, which is um, adverse to, you know, what we believe. I believe that we're going to stay private until we believe that our community and our culture is educated enough on trading and investing in valuable brands and valuable products and valuable companies. And until we can earn the trust of the people so they can understand the services and products that we create are the best in the marketplace, period and point blank. 
And you want to invest in what's the best, not based on personal emotional decisions, because a lot of people misunderstand Brother Ben X. A lot of people misunderstand the initiative of what he's trying to do. The biggest thing he's trying to get for our people, black Americans to understand, is the power that we have within, that we don't have to wait on anybody to be able to get the best out of what we can deliver for ourselves. So why wait for some other man to come and save you when you can save yourself? And I think that we would, if it takes us 20 years before we go public, I'm going to go public with the company. We're going to go public with this company the moment that we believe that the actual consumer understands the value of what we bring to the economy and they understand the importance of investing so much that when we go public, that won't even be a question. So I'm willing to wait and I'm willing to take my time and educate the community because guess what? I've been doing this this whole time. I'll be the middleman for my own company and product by educating people first so that when we do go public, they already know what it is and it, they're not scared. They understand the value of it and they're going to do it with pride knowing that they're investing in a value-based company that's going to be able to generate them not only returns, but be able to take care of their families if they keep their money invested with us long-term. My name is Jake Taylor Jacobs and you just watched The Mindset of a Millionaire. Peace. Look, I was raised different. I see the whole game different. Gotta go hard like LeBron in the paint with it. We don't just play different. Every day we think different. Wake up in the morning, talk to Christ. You know I pray different. Used to play.